0: You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Hey everybody. Hey, they are awake. Hey, I just wanted to uh, let everybody know that, uh, especially for you younger uh, folks and younger at heart, that um, one of the things we value at Common Ground Church is we do value the multi-generational ministry. Like. College students, we're glad that you're here, but you're not, uh, you're, you're not the focal point, right? Like, get over yourself. So there are, there's, like, you, we, uh, we value you being in relationship with people older than you, and you older people, it's not about you either, get over yourself, but, like, you're here to be in relationship with younger people, and you younger, younger people, like, we really value you guys being in relationship with us old fogies, because each of us learns from each other like, faith. We we learn faith from each other. It's one of the reasons I think Jesus actually pulled children up from time to time and said, unless you have faith like this, right? Like, unless you have faith like this guy, you're not getting in to the kingdom of heaven. And so I think that's a really powerful thing. And so I just wanted to highlight the fact that we really do enjoy having kids, and uh, especially, you know, you college students, anybody younger than that, elementary school, high school students, we really uh, love having you guys in the service with us. You kids, um, this is uh, back at our little rack here underneath the giving box is our CGC Kid Life uh, packets. Uh, those packets you can use to actively listen. If you are a kid um, who's anywhere between the ages of, uh, you know, 19 and 90, you also can use those packets to actively listen if you're finding yourself not able to. Um, and so this is an opportunity to be able to, you, you can use the packets, fill out what you had learned, and then once a quarter, we're going to actually draw for, uh, uh, last week we gave away a $25 Target gift card to uh, Luke Schloffman, who subsequently got a scooter because of it. And so think about how awesome that is. So yeah, he's scooting around because he loves Jesus, and I just love that. Um, and so I, I just want you to, to encourage you, if you want to, at any point in time, go back and get one of those packets. There's some pretty cool stuff, and we switch them each week. And if anybody is interested in helping out with that. That's another way you can help. Uh, before we get started here, uh, I would like to tell you a, I believe it might even be an urban legend. I'm going to see, um, let's see, uh, according to Snopes, it's false, so I don't even care. Um, okay, I'm going to tell it anyway. So the urban legend goes uh, that Ernest Hemingway was once challenged to write a four-word story. Have you ever heard this urban legend? Four-word story. He said, I bet you you can't write a story in four words. And so the legend goes that Ernest Hemingway then wrote these famous words. Baby shoes never worn. Think about how much he packed into four words, if that were true. Of course, apparently it's not, but Snopes ruins everything. So um, anyways, (laughs) but think about the amount of depth packed into those four words. If I were to ask you to give me... A one, two, three, maybe even four, at the greatest extent, four-word summary of the Bible, what would it be? Jonas. God is awesomely great. God is awesomely great. I love the word. I love your usage. That's a great adjective. Awesomely. Awesomely. Okay, good. Go ahead, Sally. Jesus died, rose again. Jesus died, rose again. Great. Excellent. Anybody else? These guys are creative. Look at that. Go ahead, Tyler. Jesus loves you. man <laughs> You don't have to use four words, but I'm glad you did. That was an excellent. What about the women? Why are you so? And women, that's six words. doesn't count. <laughs> Okay? Anybody else want to follow that one up? Go ahead. Everyone sinned, Jesus saved. Everyone sinned, Ooh. Jesus saves. I like that. He got in the sin part. Ha, 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 ha. He did one up to you guys. Okay? Anybody else want to do better? Go ahead, Eileen. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you, man. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to end everything with man for the rest of the day today. So, go ahead, Steven. God us. God what? God truly forgives us. Even better, he even took another death, right? It's not just God died, but he forgives. Right? Go ahead, Mary. Shepherd pursues lost sheep. Shepherd pursues lost sheep. You guys are all sticking to this four-word thing. This is excellent. Jonas, you got another one? Is it going to say awesomely again? No. Okay, go ahead. Jesus, God, Holy Ghost. Jesus, God, Holy Ghost. Wow. wow, he's got some theology going on there, right? Excellent. He's Trinitarian, all right. Yeah. Discipleship works. I've been parenting good. Take notes. Uh, all right. Anything else? These are pretty good. I've once heard that God's uh, that the great storyline of Scripture could be uh, God's family bought back. That's a great one. I don't think it's any better than the rest of you guys. I didn't finish it with man either, so that's not really, really good. Um, Today, we are going to say goodbye to our friend Nehemiah. Yeah, right? This is the final week in Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is um, a fantastic individual, an interesting individual. As Nick preached last week, he's not a perfect individual. But if there's one thing we get in the storyline of Scripture... It's that God invites us to join Him in telling the story of His greatness and His glory in front of all people. God invites us to be part of telling His story of His goodness and His glory to all people. Like That's a a pretty powerful thing. And Nehemiah is a a failing, faltering creature. He is, as we looked at last week, he comes unglued in Nehemiah chapter 13, which is pretty awesome. Pulls people's beards out and all kinds of stuff. And, and and he's not perfect but he is a man of faith and that's the beautiful thing is faith is something that is in our realm imperfect yet God utilizes that and that's a big storyline of scripture we've learned a ton through nehemiah I love this book this has been a really challenging book to preach through it's been a really fun book to preach through um, and but it's 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 had all kinds of things like giant lists of names. I'm never gonna pick to preach through giant lists of names if I have the choice. This is why we do books of the Bible because I have to it forces me to have to learn why in the world does God put these giant lists of names in the Word. We've learned about that kind of stuff. We've learned about the full the the story of who God is and how he's declaring himself to his people through broken people like Nehemiah. See that's one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it's totally real, like it's super real. You're gonna if you read the pages of like even from the first three pages of scripture, what are you gonna figure out about humanity? You're gonna figure out that humanity is selfish, and broken, and nasty. I mean, the very first event after the garden, right? After Adam and Eve fall, which in itself is hugely selfish. Like, they, they look at the eternal God and they turn away and they take from his creation in order to fill themselves, right? This is a big thing. But then the very next story is Cain and Abel. And what happens? Cain's like, you're worshiping better than I am. <laughs> you're dead, right? Like, he's, th- this, humans are insanely selfish. And, unfortunately, I have to wrestle with the fact that I'm a human, right? And so are you. And so we are ridiculously, helplessly, selfish, ridiculous creatures with a huge dark crack running right down our hearts and our souls. That's one thing you're going to learn from Scripture as you read. But yet another thing is that God is in the business of taking your selfish, ridiculous choices and those of the selfish, ridiculous choices of those around us and standing against it, standing firm over it, building or building His kingdom in it, battling it, and then working through it. To show off His goodness and His glory. That's a powerful thing. And it's really a beautiful thing about the way that God works around us. And I love the fact that it doesn't shy, the Bible does not shy away from our imperfections. It does not. And it certainly doesn't shy away from God using and walking in our imperfections. It's a beautiful thing about the Word of God. It's one of the big, big stories. And this is what I want for myself, and what I want for my kids, and for my wife, and what I want for you, is I want you to be reminded each and every time you gather, every single time we get together, I want this one thing to be ringing clear, is that you don't need to be perfect to join in God's story. In fact, because you're imperfect, it makes God's story all that much more beautiful You don't need to be perfect to join in God's story. You don't need to be perfect to join in the business of declaring His goodness and glory. In fact, God shows Himself best by using people who are in process people who are in process, people who are humble enough to be broken. We, I want you to be reminded that it's okay for you to be in process. It's okay because you are loved by God, like recklessly loved by God. I know that word reckless is a lot of debate and all that stuff, but if you think about it, like in our common vernacular, God's love does not make any sense whatsoever. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It just comes to you, and it it wastes away every single thing that He possibly can in order to get to you. You're loved by that God. And that love changes you. And that only in Jesus are you finally free to be able to do what you were created to do. And that's to join with God in His story of declaring His glory among all nations. Now that's a beautiful thing, right? Like, I don't know if you remember, like, I just want to remind us every single week that this is the reason why we are here. It is not to come and feel necessarily better about ourselves, but simply to look at ourselves and realize how dark and broken we are. And then to look at God and see how big and glorious He is. And then to realize, like, God calls you... Broken, dark, cracked—you—to join in with him. That's the gospel. That's the goodness of Jesus Christ. It's a big, 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 big story. Hey, speaking of big story, we need to do this thing one last time. So um, you need to—you uh, need to put your Bibles down. Okay, or uh, most of you aren't holding them. But yes, Colby, put your Bible down. And uh, so there were these. Um, there were these. This group of people in the early 1900s that came out of a Pentecostal movement called the Shakers. You ever anybody ever heard of the Shakers before? Raise your hand if you heard of the Shakers. You know what the Shakers are, right? They're people that they were called the Shakers because what would they do when they entered into the house of God? They would do this. I don't know if you knew that or not, but this is where they got the name from. Okay, and what this was was a symbol, and then there's other things, right, that happened as the Shakers. But the, the symbolic thing was I'm shaking off my sin as I'm walking into God's people. Right? Okay? And that's a beautiful thing. And because we're going to loosen up our hands in order to do this, I would like you to know that part of God's big story is to shake off your sins. So you got to do this and warm your hands up a little bit. Right? And so this is what we just shake this off. Right? Shake it off. No, just kidding. Sorry. Alright, so the big story, and you will see in your little bulletin handout thingies, I don't even know if I have one, yes I do, there's these icons down the right side of your page. They will correlate with our hand motions, and what this is, is this is a teaching of God's great story of declaring His glory among the nations, and there are several parts to it, several points in which God declares Himself. And so He starts off with creation. Jazz hands. You need some jazz hands, people. This is how God created things. He made it sparkly. He went... Light. I'm just kidding, he didn't do that. But maybe he did, I don't know. So there's creation, okay? And as he creates, what he's doing is he's declaring his glory. He's a creative God who creates beautiful things. But then the next part in the story is the fall. This is in which humanity actually... Takes God's beautiful creation and throws it into disarray, but yet God even declares his glory and all of that as he declares that he's going to battle against that fall. So there's creation, then there's fall. And then a little bit later, he takes Abraham and he calls him and he says, I'm gonna make you like, I'm gonna make your descendants like many nations. And you're gonna be a blessing to all nations. I'm gonna make them more than the stars in the sky. That's what's gonna happen. So I'm gonna create a there, there's gonna be a fall, but I'm still gonna be working because I'm gonna call out this one people, and this one people group is gonna carry the story of my group glory even though they're not great people, right? And so then what he does is he sends the nation into captivity, into bondage and what he does, why he does that is he does it as an incubation time in order to grow the nation but also because God is a redeemer so he sends his people into slavery in order to do what? In order to break the chains in order to break the bonds, in order to break them out of captivity, declaring who he is saying I'm the God who does this, I'm the God who breaks your chains and then calls you out which is the exodus, that's the next step Right, So we got creation, fall, nations, captivity, and exodus. Jamin's not here, but we're still with him today. So, And he causes the exodus, like, leave your sin and come to the land which I call you. But then we find out that humanity does not follow God's glory, and so they like to sin, and in their rebellion they wander around the promised land for 40 years, and they have an entire generation die off. I just found out today that their journey from where they started to where they were going was supposed to take them 11 days to walk. 11 days took them 40 years. It's like God jabbing them, going, hey, <laughs> good job, guys. <laughs> okay, so they wander around. You do that with your whole hand, not your finger. Um, and then uh, what we do is then they get to the promised land after they wander around. They get to the promised land, and that is where God says, you will come in here, and if you obey my laws, you will declare my glory to the nations, and they will see your wisdom, and they will see how great your nation is because of me, and they will come to you, or they will come to me because of you. It's a beautiful thing, actually. But then what happens is they keep falling into sin and God has to bring saviors called the judges and he brings the judges in. So the judges are in this and the judges come in and they save Israel over and over and over again from the cycle of sin that Nick pointed out last week in that chart that we have actually recycled this week. But then the people of Israel said, well, we don't want judges. We're tired of being saved by you, God. We want a king like other nations. We want a king to rule over us. And so they asked for a king. and God says, hey, this isn't going to work out for you very well. They said, we want one anyways. Okay, And so they get a king, and, uh, or Moose king, according to Jonas. Yep, Moose king. All right. So they ask for a king, they get a king, and they follow the kings headlong into sin, and God finally says, you're done, you're out, and they, he exiles them. And then he, but then he says, you won't stay in exile forever because I will call you back. And he calls them back. Okay, so we got creation, fall, nations, captivity, exodus, wandering, promised land, judges, kings, exile, return. And at the return, this is where we find Nehemiah. We've talked about this for the last 14 weeks. But repetition is a beautiful thing because it helps you remember it, and I hope you will always remember the Moose King. Um, okay, so that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the re- in the return part after this great story, and he's calling his people back, and he's going to work through those people. Now, as Nick said last week, Nehemiah is not a good guy. He's he's not a good guy. He is one of the good guys. He's a faithful guy, but he is not a good guy. He has flaws. He's not perfect. He's incredibly imperfect, which I think is an amazing thing. That he is no hero. In and of himself, he is no hero, and neither are any of us, right? I think we all know that. I think we all know that. Most of us want to be a hero, but then we find ourselves stepping into some situations, and we don't handle them correctly. I know I don't. I know I don't. But God is in the business of taking us, who are zeros, and making us into heroes, right? Like, you got to rhyme that. God is in the business of transforming us by grace through faith into a new creation. And that's what I see in Nehemiah. He's not a perfect guy. But by the grace of God, he is being transformed in his brokenness to declare the glory of God. And it's not about his perfection. It's actually about his imperfection. All right? Um, We're not going to get to that just yet. So back up a second, Jonas. All right, let's review who Nehemiah is. So grab your Bible. We're going to do a little Bible drill time uh, or uh, open your device and scroll to Nehemiah chapter one. We're just going to read a few verses here and there just to show you who Nehemiah is as a person. And uh, you can take notes on this if you want to or not, but I'm just going to flow right through this because we're going to use it as a launching point to jump into a, a reality that I think happens and we... Don't tend to think happens too much. We tend to we tend to struggle with this. So Nehemiah chapter one. Who is Nehemiah? Well, I think Nehemiah was, and we see this, Nehemiah is a man of prayer and a man of faith. He's a man of, of prayer and he's a man who can be broken. If you pay attention to chapter one, verses four through five. It says, When I heard these things which you read in the book of Jeremiah. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant with, of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. See, what happens there is he hears something from the Word of God, and he's broken. Broken and then he prays. And I don't know if you've ever been in this position like I know that sometimes I just read this and I'm like okay that was real nice right and then I move on to the next day. And I start counting days on my app or whatever right like but there's a moment where like I need to be broken by the word of God and Nehemiah is in a place right here and, and I he's, he's broken by the word of God and it causes him to drop to his knees in prayer. So he's a man of prayer. But if you turn over the page to Nehemiah chapter 2, he's also a man of faith and action. So check out chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. It says this, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? So now he's in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let us start building. So they began this, this good work. So Nehemiah is a guy who has faith and action. He actually wants to bring other people into a place of faith and action. It's it's a beautiful thing. I love this about Nehemiah, that he he doesn't want to leave people behind. He wants to have faith and action as well. Now if you turn over another page to Nehemiah chapter 4, we see that not only is he a man of prayer, not only is he a man of faith and action, but in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, check this out. It says... Um, where is it? They all, and they being the Ammonites and some other people from the area, their neighbors, okay? Sembalah, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, uh, Mosquito Bites, all those guys, right? Um, <laughs> verse 8 uh, says, They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Now notice, if you will here, they didn't just pray and trust that God will nebulously take care of them. They prayed and acted and put a guard there. That's not lacking faith, just so you know. That's not going, I'm going to hedge my bets. That is going, God, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to stand my ground. And I just ask that you will be with me because I know that apart from you, I can do nothing anyway. So if you're not here, I'm going down. Right, that is not hedging your bets. That is faith and action correctly married. Just so you know, so he's a man of faith and action, but also a man of perseverance. Right, like somebody stands against him, and he steps to them, and he says, "No, back down. Okay, I'm not going to back down." And then, if you turn all the way to the end of the book in Nehemiah chapter 13, we see from review last week that Nehemiah in verses 13, 7 and 8, I think it's 7 and 8, um, says. Um, Sometime later, I asked his permission, came back to Jerusalem. So he came back. He says, here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's house to move goods out of the room. I love this part, right? I love this part. I think that's such a diminishing of it. I was greatly displeased. Like, But he comes unglued and he grabs the guy's stuff and launches it out of the front door into a pile. I don't know if you've ever come home and like... Your stuff's out in a pile. If you ever have, you know something went wrong and somebody's in there that you don't want to talk to, right? It's not like this peaceable, like, hey, hey, brother, let's sit down and chat. Can we pray with one another? No, you're probably going to get punched in the face, okay? So there's a. this is a tension moment. So we know that Nehemiah is also a man of passion and strength and sometimes lacks self-control. So he's not a perfect man. Now, why I show you all this is because Nehemiah's faith is pretty amazing. Would you agree? His faith is pretty amazing. I think I would like to have a faith like Nehemiah. I think I'd like to come and like Nehemiah a few times and then pray about it. Right? Like, I would love to. Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do. All right? And so, I, sometimes I think I'd like to have a faith like Nehemiah. But i got to let you know that Nehemiah's faith, it wasn't born like this. This wasn't inherently in him. If you talk to anybody who has a faith that you admire, you talk to anybody who has a faith that you admire, and you start unpacking their story, what are you going to find underneath? Hardship. Suffering. Trial. Failure. Anguish. Difficulty. Them really not having a very strong faith, probably for decades. You're going to find people who are not perfect, but God's been working on them, to create heroes out of zeros, right? Like, he's, he's creating these heroes. So although we can't say Nehemiah is a perfect guy, we can say he has an awesome faith... But it's definitely good for us to remember that Nehemiah's faith didn't just come out of a vacuum or out of a void. It's something that is built in him. See, God works through a process. I have to let you know this. He works through a process of discipleship. He works through a process that actually biblically is much like the refining process. Some of you who are metallurgical engineers. Raise your hand, metallurgical engineers. <clears throat> uh, you're all introverted, so it's fine. I know you're raising your hand in your heart. So um, it's... Uh, <laughs> they're like... Um, <laughs> we used to have some metallurgical engineers and I tried, to make a, I tried to make a sermon point off of metallurgy and then they all left. So, it doesn't work real well. It was, I'll tell you a story about it some other time. But, the Bible works, uh, tells us that this process that God uses to disciple us and train us is a lot like a refining process. And what refining, how you do this process is you take ore, you take stuff that is useless and kind of dirty and mucky and then you stick it in heat. You stick it in pressure. And you cook the snot out of it, and what happens is all the impurities bubble to the top. And then you essentially scrape the impurities off, and what do you do after that? You stick it back in, because more impurities are going to bubble up. And then you scrape it off again, and you stick it back in, and you bubble everything up, and you scrape it off again, and you stick it back in. And this is the process of taking something that is dirty and mixed with something great, and boiling all of the dirty garbage out of it, so that what you're left with is something beautiful. And untarnishable. And so when the Bible says that, that he's making, refining our faith like gold, right? Like that's the process. It's bubbling all that garbage up, scraping it off, and throwing it away. Because God works through a combination of pressure and heat, intense heat and intense pressure, in order to bring out the beauty that he has placed inside of us by his Holy Spirit. It's a refining process. It's what we call transformation. And transformation happens when heat and pressure are applied. I'm guessing that it's, uh, it's simply not recorded, but I bet you Nehemiah, because he's gotten to this point, I'm guessing he, he did not become the guy who has such a wonderful faith overnight. I'm guessing he had to have heat and pressure applied repeatedly. <laughs> over and over and over again. Where did we find him in the first chapter? Where's his position in the kingdom of Babylon? What is he doing? He's actually one of the highest guys there. You don't get there overnight. They don't pick a person like, hey, you look attractive. Why don't you come over here? No, they're like, I can trust you. You don't tell the tr- you You tell the truth. You, you're not trying to get your own agenda across. I've proven that. Now you can come have a position of authority. So there's been this process in Nehemiah's life of heat and pressure being applied. And he's He's struggled. I'm sure he's failed. I'm sure he's succeeded in certain areas. But that's where we find Nehemiah. We just pick up in that part of the story. Now, I don't want to just talk about this in principle. I want to show you that this is something that happens in all of our lives. So I want to show you this Romans 5 principle. So I'd like you to turn over to Romans 5 if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, shame on you. This is church. Bring a Bible or a phone. Um, what is wrong with you people? Now we've supplied some Bibles with, um, for you. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, I just trust that it's at home because you were reading this morning. So, um, okay, so there's this Romans 5 cycle, and I want to read this for you, and then I really want to wrestle with this, and, and we're, we're really going to unpack this, okay? We're going to kind of park right here, and that's not to say what we have said before is not not uh, worthwhile, but I, wanna, I want you to see that this is a New Testament process that still exists in your life today. Okay, so Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. Says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Now, there's a lot that's going on in here. I want you to keep your, I want you to keep that open, okay? What I want you to see is, there's this beautiful cycle that happens. Now, Jonas, we can do it. The first thing is, there we are. We are, first thing is this process. We are justified by faith. And we enter by that faith into this. We stand in this beautiful grace. Now Paul picks up in Ephesians and says we're actually saved by grace through faith. And there's some theological things that you can you can figure out there, which are, is really really fun. It's the same author, but he says we are justified by faith. And justified that we're justified is um, one of the best ways to define it. Ray, what's your justification definition? Every time you say it. Just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. It's a great way to remember it. Every time I every time I read the word justified, I have raised voice in my head, which is scary. Because <laughs> it's very Canadian in my head, not so much when he says it. So, but yeah, it's just as if you've never sinned. And that's the idea, is right, like you have this huge debt because of the things that you've done against God. And being justified is like having that stamp saying, Done, paid for, I got you, I got you covered. Right? Like actually, the word atonement is a covering by blood. It's literally, I got you covered. Like you go to a, you go somewhere, I just heard this, this was this is an example I'm stealing from somebody else that I heard this week. You go to a restaurant, you don't have your wallet on you, yet you've charged, you know, $100 worth of food because you were Isaac. And then uh, <laughs> and then you're sitting with Isaac and you have a $15 bill that you have, uh, have paid and you're like, no, bro, I got you covered. Don't even worry about it. Right? Like, I got you covered. That's, God pays your bill. He pays your bill that you owe him justified by faith now, that's a beautiful thing this is an amazing thing when we sin against god when we act out of the direction and desire of our hearts to find fulfillment and worth and value outside of him it incurs a penalty a debt a debt is owed and the only thing that can pay for that debt is a life ours or someone else's and jesus died paying that debt that we incurred with our sin and the sin of the whole world that debt's paid This is what we commonly call the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as Nick said last week, but wait, there's still more. And this is actually what Paul says here, right? Like, not only, he starts in verse 3, not only so, but we also, and some of your, some of your translations say, but there's, but how much more will we be, okay? And then there's this process, and the next step in the process, go ahead Jonas, bring it up, next step in the process is not only be justified, right? We start there, we're justified, but we are also brought into suffering. We're brought into suffering, which produces endurance. And then the next step, right? Like So suffering, which produces endurance, then the next step is that endurance leads us into a place of becoming a people of character. So that endurance leads us to a place of becoming a people of character. And that character, we, we're, there we go, we endure. As we endure, we become a people of character. And those of you know this, if somebody's never suffered in their life, are they a person of character? No, in fact, they tend to be rather selfish. Self-focused, self-motivated. If they've never been in a place where they've suffered, this is one of the big gripes of you old folks against you young folks is they're like, you're so entitled, you guys have never had to go what we had to go through, right? And to some degree, they haven't because we've given them a, we've cheapened their lives by giving them everything they've ever wanted. Because if we don't suffer, you don't become a person of character. Like I remember going outside as a kid. I don't know if you guys do this as kids anymore, but I remember going outside as a kid, and I remember falling off of... Who here ever fell off the monkey bars? Raise your hand. You fell off the monkey bars. Where did you land? Everybody's like... Uncomfortably. That's all I heard. It was like I landed uncomfortably. Yes, I landed on my face every time I tried to do it. Like I was a pretty large kid, fairly top heavy. Is what we would say. And uh, so doing a penny drop was more like doing a buck fitty drop, right? And so it's like, boom, right on the ground, face and all. I mean, just I remember having gravel embedded into my skin, right? Because there's was always pea gravel on the end of, on the end of the monkey bars. These days they don't have gravel under monkey bars. What do they have? Rubber, Yeah, This is a stupid, like, ooh, you're going to bounce. Why don't you wear your helmet? No, give me some gravel. Slam those people on the ground, right? Like, I want of people of character. But you become a person of character the more that you suffer. This is biblical. Like, the more you endure under suffering, the more you become a person of character. But then it doesn't stop there, because the next step is that character produces hope, if you're reading it here. That character produces hope. Now that's the part that we don't really understand, but it's the character going, you know what? I've learned, I've seen, I've seen the goodness of God. I, in hindsight, after I've been suffering for a while, now see what this was actually for. You ever, you're in that place, right? You've been in that place where something happens and all the wheels come off and you're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And then like five years down the road, three years down the road, 50 years down the road, maybe even 10 minutes down the road, you look back at it and go... (laughs) I get it, God. That was funny. Not so much in the moment, though, right? You become a people of hope as you look at what God has brought you through in hindsight. And then it doesn't stop there, because then, not only are you a people of hope, but it says, and this is a beautiful thing, and hope does not disappoint us. Because most people are like, really, I suffered for a little bit of hope? No, hope is not disappointing. Hope does not disappoint us because, and then it says here, Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's a powerful moment, right? Like there's one, to get through that endurance five years down the road and look back and go, (laughs) that was funny, God. But to realize that it was not that was funny, God, as much as, God, that was the time when you loved me. That was the time when I could feel the presence of your love because I had nothing else to stand on but you. Those are the moments where God reveals how much His Spirit has been carrying you and how much He's been filled with your Holy Spirit. Some of you, I know your stories. Like, you wound up in some situation where all of a sudden all was lost, all bets were off, everything was out the window, your whole life was upended, and now you've gone through that and you look at it and you go, man... I'm so glad God did that in my life. I'm so glad He did that in my life because it wrecked me. It stopped me. I was destroying everything and everyone, but God smacked me with a two-by-four and flattened me, and He called me into His goodness. That's the Holy Spirit. And we only get to see the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, not only, but sometimes we get to see the Holy Spirit's presence in our life in hindsight a lot clearer. That's human reality. Now, I just want you to really think about this. I don't know if you've wrote these things down. I left you this little chart because, as you see, what it does is it then brings you back towards God's love, which is that justification and and that saving, which then produces more suffering in you and, and becomes this cycle of transformation, right? It keeps circling and cycling. But I want you to just look at that passage. And if it's in your Bible, look at it in the Bible. Or if it's on your paper and you wrote out some of these principles, just look at that because how does that hit you? I mean, like, I know spiritually you want to be like, oh, I'm good at that, bring it on. I think I find in my life, most of the time I'm like, God, your message to me is salvation, justification, I'm made right. Yeah, all right, salvation, woohoo. But then it says, but how much more is in store for us? It says, but wait, there's more. And that more is suffering. And you're like, wait, 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 What? I mean, thanks for the salvation, thanks for the forgiveness, thanks for the justification. Like, I wanted to be one with you, I wanted the good stuff, I've been forgiven, I've been freed. But suffering? I don't know if you thought this through, God. And then suffering produces endurance, and as you strain under the weight of suffering that your salvation and justification leads to... You just keep walking out the faith that was embedded inside you through the Holy Spirit. The endurance produces character in you. And then this new character, new creation, a new heart, a new mind becomes a new person with a new thought and a new process and a new purpose. And the end goal of that is faith. See, unfortunately, I think uh, if I look at myself, I get stuck at that suffering stage, right? I'm like, salvation, justification, yes. But as soon as the suffering's there, I'm like, God, I don't think you want... I mean... I understand that you want me to go here, or you want me to do this, or you want me to stand out, or you want me to step into this person's life, or you want me to say something to my co-worker, or you want me to talk about something, you want me to pray for these people. I understand that. I've read that in your Word. But, you know, ah, it might be, it might be uncomfortable and awkward for everybody, God. I think I might suffer a little bit. I think I might suffer a little bit if I tell people about you. And that I think we get stuck there and we're like, God, I just, I'm satisfied with your justification, but not with this process of refining my faith. God calls and we respond to him with, are you sure about that? If you want to know the love of God, If you want to know, according to this passage, if you want to know the love of God, if you want to see that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you, and then He gave you His Holy Spirit and He calls you, if you want to know that love, if you want to know that God loves you unconditionally and loves you so much that He will do whatever it takes to come after you, if you want to know that, according to God's own word, it means you must suffer like Him. It means you must suffer like Him. And I don't get the freedom to be able to rip that one out and say God loves you just because He loves you, because He loves you, because He loves you. I actually get to say God loves you so much He's going to lead you into suffering. God God loves you so much He's going to lead you into suffering. Why? Because He's going to stick you in the fire, He's going to turn up the pressure, and He's going to bubble up all of that garbage that's inside you, and then He's going to scrape it off and throw it off again, and then He's going to be like, okay, here we go, right back into the fire again. God's reckless love that we sing about, okay, is so... The reason why I actually am beginning to enjoy that word as it's used in the song, God's love makes so little sense to us, because for most of us, we're like, God, love me, and give me everything that I've ever wanted, and don't make me suffer, and don't make me a person of character. Which means I won't have any hope in you, and which means I'll have a life that's devoid of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens if we unwind this. But we can invite God to make us uncomfortable. We can invite God to turn up the heat. We can invite God to say, "Hey, call me into something that I will really struggle with." And I'm going to get angry at you and I'm going to kick and scream and I'm going to not do it perfectly and I'm going to probably sin in the middle of it. I I uh, I know I'm just going to I'm going to screw this one up, but God call me into it anyways because I trust that you are good. And that's the kicker. The reason we don't trust God when He calls us into suffering is because we don't believe that He's good. And that even when we suffer, He does incredible things. This is what I love about this passage, and what I love about Nehemiah as we wrap up Nehemiah and we put him away, I see a guy who we stepped into his life late on, and I see a guy who's probably had this process going on for decades. And that's one of the beautiful things about being a multi-generational church, you young ones and you old ones, is you get to rub shoulders with those whose faith has been refined in ways that yours hasn't. And you get to see that and go, man, that faith is marvelous. How did you get that? How did you get that? And some people don't even know. and They'll go, well, I don't know, but let me tell you about my story. And I guarantee you, you will hear a story of suffering and getting kicked in the teeth over and over and over again. And one of the reasons I love this passage, and particularly today, is we have communion today. We actually get to, and this is a beautiful thing, like, right, what is this plate? What are these things? I'm going to pull this stuff off of them. What does this tell you about the God who saves you? This tells you that He was broken. And that his blood was spilled and poured out. That he suffered and he died. That this wasn't a... He didn't come here just to take a nice vacation, right? Like, he didn't come here in order to spend time in the Caribbean. He came here in order to be broken and bruised and marred and cut open so that you can be covered and we don't have to be broken anymore. He came to be broken so we can be healed. He came to be... Like, this was a path of suffering that God Almighty did Himself. And so we can actually look at this and we can go bring it on. Because I'm going to take in your suffering. I'm going to take that with me. And I'm going to go out there and ask you to allow me to suffer like you did. So I can know the beauty of the cross. That is the call of the gospel. That's the call of the good news of Jesus Christ. This isn't good news apart from that. The only reason this is good news is because we get the good news of saying, you know what, our suffering and our anguish has a point. And it's personal character, hope, endurance, but it's also public. I get to show the glory of God to the nations around me as I suffer for him, and he does mighty work inside of me, and he changes the world around me this is what Jesus did he came and he suffered and he was broken and he was bruised and his blood was spilled so that the world could be saved that is what we are called into and so today I'm just going to ask you to do business with Jesus we practice open communion here at Common Ground Church that means you don't have to be a member we don't know where you stand spiritually I just ask that you do business with Jesus if you're going to come and take of the bread and you're going to take of the body do business with Jesus before you come this isn't a, something we do as just a simple tradition. This is a place to lay down our sin and take on Jesus' suffering and go and live for Him. In fact, I even left the, uh, the stale crackers, Oh, so they're called matza. never mind. I even left those things whole. I want you to break them. Because I want you to feel like that's what you're inviting. God, break my heart and break my soul and break my faith and then make it whole again. Jesus, we come before you, and uh, Lord, um, every day this is a struggle for me. Every day this is a struggle for me. I wake up and sometimes I'm like, Lord, don't let me suffer, right? Like just make me have, help me to have a good day. I don't know how many times I've prayed that to you, Lord. Help me have a good day. And I know your idea of a good day and my idea of a good day are totally different things. And so I lay that down at your feet and I I repent of that. And I say, do your will, do your will, bring it Lord for my friends that are here for those whom you have loved and you have called and you have died for. I pray, bring it. And for those who are going to come and do business with you and lay their lives down at your feet and take in your suffering, I say bring it. And Lord, as you as you bring people into tough places, and there are people here right now going through those tough places, I pray that you will help us to pray for one another. Help us to remind one another that you are doing something mighty. And at the end of all of this is the Holy Spirit, as He, you, you draw us into your presence and show us more and more of Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray that you would do some incredible things. And when I say incredible things, I don't mean all positive and unicorns. I mean bring it. Make us a people of character who become a people of hope. Help us to suffer through the awkward and the difficult. Help us to suffer well. And I pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, fill us with your Spirit, and draw us into something that we have never Anticipated before. Lord, we love you and we give you our lives in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.